Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Our Kick It Out live event marked the beginning of 25 years of campaigning for equality in football. We talked about a range of subjects on the night, including whether new media is leading the way on inclusion and diversity in a way that traditional media can only dream of. But before that, we started off with a lively chat asking, what's the point of football? Uh, I think for me, that football's accessible. Uh, it's not like golf. It's not like basketball. You can just put a couple of things on the floor and kick around. Uh, so as a game, it means it's the most accessible game in the world. What it's been useful for me in my career, and I think for a lot of people here, is, is that it's a great way of talking to people. It's a great way of engaging people. It's a great way of opening doors. And it's a great way of getting noticed. So for me, it, it's a game that's not like any other. It's the game that's the world's game. There's no other game that's played all over the world. Cricket's played by 20 countries. I think there's more, people, there's more nations in FIFA than there are in the UN. So it's our game. I think that's what it's about. What is football to me is, you know, it's life, but um, and it, it fulfills me. And the more people, the more people it can do to for that, uh, for people, the better, the better for me. What is the point of football to me? I think it's a universal communication tool that allows everyone to acknowledge people's values and norms and show empathy through verbal communication, physical. Um, Again, there's so many narratives that football demonstrates, whether that's winning and losing, um, teammates, team building, uh, the list goes on. So, yeah, it's something that everyone understands, even if you can't communicate verbally. Um, there's always someone there that can kind of be your support. So for me personally, it's so my mum and my dad and my brother, and practically never see them. So when there's a football match, it brings my family together in the living room. So for me, it's about connecting with my parents and my brother better. But on the other side, also the point of football is about social justice. So how do we make sure that we don't judge someone by their skin color, but we accept them for who they truly are? So that's the point of football. Thank you. Thank you to start off with for, for being here first and foremost and for being part of Kick It Out Live, uh, a recognition of 25 years of the organisation um, from Let's Kick Racism Out of Football. Um, if I say 25 years, when did we commence? When, did, when was Kick It Out founded? 93, 94, 93, yeah. Um, four years later, becoming 
kick it out. So in 1997, adopting the name that we have now. Um, we're very proud to be able to put this evening on. Um, and I look across the, the audience and I think to myself... <laughs> All right, I'll start again. Um, <laughs> I think to myself, this is football. Uh, we asked a question down, for those of you that were part of the podcast... Um, and the question was, what's the point of football? And someone then asked me, uh, you know, you didn't answer it. And the answer for me is this here. This is football. This is a representation of football. And this is what I'm proud to be a part of. Um, so really thank you for being here tonight. A lot of people, just going to say this very quickly, a lot of people have commented on how young I look tonight. I'm just wondering whether that should be my look to continue. Um, but listen, more importantly, we've got, some, we've got obviously some great speakers, some recognisable speakers. We'll have an absolutely great panel session um, just talking about influences of today and, and the media. And please just continue your conversations as well, the conversations that you've had already, which are always amazing. Um, but more importantly, tonight's not about me. Um, it's about the organisation and at the head of the organisation is a man who I have the utmost respect for and a man who has led this campaign uh, for all of its time in existence. Um, and you're going to hear from him now. So I'd like to introduce Lord Herman Oosley. The whole range of characteristics are reflected in football. During the last 25 years, the point of kick it out in dealing with the point of football has been to change it and make it more inclusive. It's moving in that direction, but it's a long way from getting there. Football is essentially about power. And it's about the powerful people exploiting the powerless. And that is a reflection of our society. It's a reflection of most societies. And the problem we've got in football is that there are good people and there are bad people. The good people have been working with people like us and many others to change football, to help, it, to help them make that experience a pleasurable one, whether you're playing in the parks or in a school playground, any playing fields or at the elite level. And that is where we want everyone to be coming together, to move the cohesion in a way that everyone feels comfortable. The bad people, in my view, are at the top of football because they make the decisions. They're the powerful people who could change the landscape instantly. That is also about society. There are many people who can transform their organisations, many people who can make a difference who are not making a difference. They play games not football games, games in which they pretend with their lace curtain, cosmetic, anti-discrimination, which is a facade. It makes them out to be good guys. And we're talking about guys, the, guy, the men. I know we refer guys 
universally as non-sexist, but it's, it is about the men. And the reason why I'm saying this, in the way that I'm saying it, is because whilst this is a celebratory event of sorts, we can't forget that the exploitation of football at the highest level has made it unaffordable to the poorest people. Hi, I'm Osei Sankofa, and you're listening to the Kick It Outcast, the official podcast of Kick It Out, tackling racism and discrimination in football for 25 years. Just like to introduce Crystal Davis, who is going to lead us now in the, the panel session that we're going to have uh, for the next 20 minutes with some real ex- really exciting people who I'm quite sure you'll be happy to hear from. So, Crystal, over to you. Guys, before we get started, could you kindly just tell the audience who you are and what you, who you work for? Okay, I'm Robbie Lyle. Um, we've got <clears throat> a media platform called Arsenal Fan TV, or AFTV as we're now known. And um, basically, we uh, cover Arsenal Football Club. We follow them up and down the country, around the world, anywhere they go. And uh, we focus on giving fans a voice and let them have their say on, on Arsenal Football Club. Hello, I'm Martha Kellner. I'm Chief Sports Reporter for The Guardian and The Observer. Um, I'm belonging to, to the traditional news media, um, in inverted commas, um, and I mainly focus on sports news, so football, um, but also a range of different sports as well. Um, I'm Ellie Menjim. I'm a director and presenter for Copper 90. Uh, we're uh, the, the world's biggest uh, youth media football network now across Snapchat, Facebook, but, most, but <clears throat> primarily YouTube, where I present uh, a couple of series on derbies and in, international football and many others. Right, thank you. So I've done some digging and I noticed the three of you have something in common besides you know, loving football and other sports. Coincidentally, the three of you were in Russia for the World Cup, so I'm just curious to know what was your World Cup experience like, starting off with you, Robbie? Uh, I I really enjoyed Russia. Um, Obviously, before I went there, like everybody, probably in this room, I was very worried. Uh, I'd heard all the the rumours about it being racist, uh, the rumours about, you know, if you're an English fan, you're going to get attacked and stuff like that. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, It was very friendly out there. The tournament was really well organised, met fans from all around the world and basically it was what a World Cup should be, which was it was a celebration of football and um, on top of that, England done really well as well, which was a bit of a surprise uh, and uh, no, I, I really enjoyed all the World Cup, I went to all the England games and uh, I thought it was fantastic, fantastic World Cup. It's good to hear. Um, I think similarly to to Robbie, I'd obviously heard and written about a lot of the the negative aspects of Russia. Um, You know, two years before, we'd had all all the problems with the hooliganism in in Marseille with with Russian fans um, interacting with with England fans with arrests there and and obviously gratuitous violence, which we saw on, on the TV and in the newspapers. And I think... Having said that, and the, the lead that the, the English politicians took um, in not going to Russia, we had no official presence in Russia. Um, there was that, that negative view going out there. There was the, the worry that, that we'd see similar scenes that we saw at Euro 2016 repeated in Russia. Um, 
and I think what was what was really great to see is the way England fans handled themselves out there. Um, you know, I, I I covered sort of the fans quite a lot. I went and spoke to them in the, the days before the game um, against Tunisia in Volgograd. And it's fair to say there was a fair amount of anger among England fans because not many people travelled out there. And I, I think they blamed the traditional media for portraying this idea of, of Russia as being violent and being inhospitable. Um, but I think by, by the end of it, they'd really built up this friendship with the, the Russian fans. And I think for me, more than anything, it was a reminder to separate the people from the politics um, because generally, particularly the younger generation of, of Russian people out there were so friendly and I think they wanted to hear about English culture and, and English life and they were genuinely excited in the most part to have us there. And Ellie? Um, yeah, like Robbie, well, I went to Russia with many reservations. Um, I remember when I handed my passport into the embassy and before they gave, I came back five days later to get it back. Uh, they handed it to me and I opened I really wanted the visa to be rejected, actually. Um, <laughs> As a person of colour and someone who focuses on football fans in particular and the culture within the supporter groups, I had for many years been reading into some of the troubles that go on. So I went in with that mentality and I came out. It took about 48 hours before I, my mind was completely changed. Not to say you know everything's working out over there, but it was, they were so hospitable, they were so welcoming. I didn't have any issues whatsoever and I was just really kind of taken aback by how... For the most part, you can't really judge a place until you, you're there amongst the real people in the neighbourhoods, not just the tourist areas, but the real parts, and you're sharing a meal with them or a beer or whatever it is, sharing a match. And Robbie? You know, you know what I was going to say about Russia? It's like before, when Russia got the World Cup, I was like, they shouldn't get it because, you know, all of the racism that's attached to uh, Russia, how can they get the World Cup? But I actually went away saying, actually, you know what? It's a good thing that a country like this gets it because they, when I spoke to a lot of um, local people there, a lot of ordinary people there, they were like, it's so great to have people from around the world here. We're learning a lot. We're meeting people. And I think that's what racism a lot of time is people not understanding other people, isn't it? So they got to meet black people. They got to meet people from South America. They got to meet people from... Um, career and stuff like that and it just opened their minds everybody's just we're all the same we love football and I think in the end it ended up being a beautiful thing the World Cup being in Russia I, I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding how they got it and that but it was actually perfect that it was in Russia in the end having said that I hope it does have an actual lasting effect yeah. because without a doubt what we saw was a very sanitised view of Russia. They, they put on their best face. I think there's no doubt that, that Vladimir Putin said that they needed to show their, their best face to the world and I, and I hope that some of the, the things that we saw do have that, that lasting effect because these problems weren't made up and they won't disappear overnight or they won't disappear as the result of a, of a four or five week long tournament. Now, reporting in mind, representation, what was that like? Because I go to games um, regularly for The Voice and unfortunately I find myself more times walk through the press box and I don't see no one who look or sound like me. So what was that like in Russia? Um, yeah, from, from my point of view, obviously I talk a lot about being a woman in football, a woman in, in sport journalism, um, and, and you often get asked, you know, do you feel like the odd one out when you go to, to press boxes and, and at press conferences? 
And I think sometimes the answer is yes, although I think things are definitely changing for the positive. Um, but I think uh, these guys will be able to give a better view of new media, but I think definitely in the sense of traditional media, there's, there's not a lot of diversity. I covered quite a lot of, of England games, uh, and often I was the only woman, probably in a group of about 30 to 35 reporters, who was a woman. Um, there, there also weren't very many BME journalists. It, you know, there is, there is a lack of diversity in traditional sports media, for, for whatever reason that might be, and I think it's for a multitude of reasons. Um, and that is something that needs to be addressed over the, the coming years, definitely. Ellie, Robbie, would you like to add to that? I, I do get to sample a bit of the traditional media because I got to go to one of the, uh, the England press conferences. I think I was... There was a uh, Darren Lewis from the Mirror was there, and then probably me, and that was it. I, was, I think there was another couple of black guys there, but they were from the African media. So, no, nah, it's not still for me. I get to go to a lot of these um, events and things like that, and I still find it it's a bit embarrassing actually that we go there and you know this is football. A lot of black people play football, and we are very mis you know we're not represented. In, in, in the media. That's my, my thoughts Tradition, on traditional media. Obviously, what I do, I focus a lot on fans and um, being outside grounds, talking to fans. Yeah, it was quite, you know, I, I met fans from all around the world. So, you know, it's World Cup, so that was fine. But it, when I went to that press conference, no, that was still, there's still got a lot of work to do there. Do you, do you not feel welcomed? I mean, do you, do you feel like, what, what is it specifically that you, you feel... I felt I didn't feel not welcome because I think they know who I am. Yeah. So you know I was welcomed in. No, I had no problems in there. They, they know who I am. Yeah. I was, but I just look on it sometimes and I think this is football, right? England are playing. How many black players have we got? And I look at the look around the room and there's not enough representation. I just don't feel, you know, like you said, there's lots of um, reasons for it. And I'm, you know, I want to see that addressed though. You know what I mean? And I go to a lot of functions where I went to a function the other day and I was told there's going to be a lot of the top journalists and top media people there. And then when I got there, I was the only black guy there. And I think I want to see changes in that. And I've kind of come in there because I've kind of come in in a different way as well. So I really would love to see that change because I just feel that, you know, a lot of things to do with football, you know, on the pitches. On the pitch is okay. On the pitch is, you know, as I said, there was a lot of black players playing for England. It was re re really great to see. But I do feel in football, managerial level, how many black managers have we got in the Premier League? You know, boardroom level, my club, Arsenal. No black people there. That's North London. That's in Finsbury Park and areas around, you know, where, what, no black people live around there? So... You know, that for me needs to improve. You know, I'm, I'm not having a go at people right now, but I would like to see that in the future improve. I'd like to know what's been done to, to change that because that needs to change. Now, focusing on our subject matter, is new media leading the way for inclusion? I, I mean, I, personally, I think absolutely. I mean, at Copper90, we have four major talent. Um, myself, Australian... 
uh, of Middle Eastern ethnicity, uh, Michael Timms, uh, English of Chinese ethnicity, poet of Jamaican ethnicity and, and Vuge of uh, Serbian ethnicity. So they're our four main representatives, probably every continent with the exception of South America. So they, what we're talking about here is I really feel like, at least in the football world, from my perspective, and you, you look at stuff like AFTV, um, who else did I see out there? When you were speaking about who did they come across in the media when they were in Russia? Well, I wasn't with traditional media. Copper Knight, we travel with the fans and we speak to the fans um, outside the ground and inside the ground and just kind of capture them. Everyone I spoke to, I saw Robbie out there, I saw Hugh Wizzy out there, I saw our guys out there. Uh, I, I feel at least that um, the next generation of media on new media platforms are most definitely representing... Um, the community, at least to a more accurate level. Maybe it's not perfect yet, but I think it's on the way. Yeah, I, I feel that um, new media is really representing. Um, I mean, with us, my whole thing right from day one is to interview fans, ordinary fans. So I remember a couple of years ago, he's actually a journalist from The Guardian. He did a little article um, on, on Arsenal Fan TV, and he, he rung me up afterwards and he said, Robbie, he goes, you know what I really like about your platform? He goes, you get to see black people, Asian, women, um, people with disabilities. He goes, it's wonderful. He goes, I like the way... He goes, beforehand, he goes, you always have this image of a football fan being that guy at a football factory or, you know, Cockney speaking. But, you know, he goes, but you're showing that, you know, the fan base is... is and do you know what? I, it's not something that I was consciously doing. I just set out to interview fans, ordinary fans. And I, I don't, not like trying to pick out, yeah, let's get two black men in, let's get two. I just want to interview fans. And if you're a fan of Arsenal Football Club, you're a fan of Arsenal Football Club. It doesn't matter what colour you are. And, and that's how, for me, it should be. And um, I look at a lot of platforms on social media and that's how they're approaching it. They're just, they really are showing that, you know, football is a, you know, a re and sport in general is a really diverse thing in this country. And um, I think new media really is leading the way on that. There's a lot of um, people who've emerged out of new media like yourself and that, that you know, and myself. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be set up here if it was the traditional, you know, but it's given me a platform to be able to do what I do. It's given a lot of other platforms to people. And I, I think it's really leading the way on this at the moment. Like I, me personally, I, I don't even like Arsenal, but uh, I, I, <laughs> but the reason I tune in every week. No, no, it's true. You don't like Arsenal. <laughs> the, re fan. the reason I started tuning in when I was in Australia was um, that like, the guy from Leeds, the Nigerian guy, what was his name? Kalechi. Kalechi. I was like, I, I'd never met a Nigerian coming from Australia. I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then, then there's obviously troops and and uh, Thai and Mo and like it's like a Pakistani English guy and a Jamaican English guy and a Nigerian English guy from Leeds. Like it was just wild, and that's what got me into Arsenal fan TV. Is like different real football fans like talking to me and showing their characteristics you know with that bit yeah so I think it's important and Martha you're slightly different to Ellie and Robbie in the sense that you went down the traditional route but what's your take on new media how powerful do you think it is when it comes to reporting I think it's it's hugely powerful um I do worry sometimes that the lack of diversity has an effect on the stories that we tell and the way that we, we tell them. Um, so I've no doubt that it would improve 
you know, the output of traditional media if, if, if we did have more diversity in, in our newsrooms. Um, however, brilliant, I think, the job is that we're doing at the moment, and there are some amazing journalists who, who tell incredible stories without bias or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I was... I, I, the World Cup created a lot of stars, but something that really stood out for me in terms of new media was the emergence of the Players' Tribune, um, which is, is the, the online site which told the story of Raheem Sterling. And you'll obviously remember Raheem Sterling went into the World Cup having had that story on the front of the Sun newspaper about his tattoo. And I think he used the play, he recognised the power of the Players' Tribune of, of new media to take control of the narrative of, of his story. Um, and since then, we've seen Romelu Lukaku um, tell his story about his upbringing in, in Antwerp and the struggles that he encountered um, on his way to becoming, you know, a phenomenon. Um, and so I think that's that's a really good example of, of new media. Um, been so so powerful and I was actually I was saying to these guys before in the in the green room that there's there's often a, a stuffiness I, I think and, and I might be as guilty of it as anyone among the traditional media about new media and, and I think sometimes it comes from feeling a little bit threatened and you sometimes don't realize some of the the figures in terms of the, the amount of people that that new media platforms are reaching we were just talking about you know the figures that you guys have had sort of in, I think you were saying 20 million um, over the, the course of a, a month. And, and that's incredible. You know, that's, that's exceeding a lot of traditional media platforms. Ellie, did you want to say something? No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's. I, I think. I think they're going to merge as one eventually because by the time the next generation come through, listen, I'm a massive advocate for print. I was telling you earlier, like I read the paper every week and it's the first thing I do when I wake up. I make sure I buy it. I support it. But the fact of the matter is a lot of my friends aren't anymore and it's whether it's because they don't feel like their voice is being represented in those traditional platforms. They certainly don't turn on TV unless it's sport or Love Island, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the fact of the matter is like there's a new generation coming up that haven't been brought up on traditional platforms and there's many reasons for that. But one of them is the fact that a lot of them, because this next generation is even more diverse uh, ethnically, they don't feel represented. And so when they see guys who look like them or girls who look like them, on, on their screens, it's the screens on their iPhones or whatever else they're going to turn to. Having, having, having said all that, and, I, and I, I couldn't agree more about new media and the role it plays, I, there, there is obviously still a role for, for traditional media, however, however much it's changing. We, we, we were talking about newspapers and, um, and what good journalism is, is being done. You know, some of the, the you know, the, the really sort of, the stories which have changed society in terms of sport in recent times have come from newspaper journalists. Things like the football sex abuse yeah. scandal, that came from newspaper journalism. So there is, you know, a hugely, hugely important role definitely. still for traditional media. Yeah, definitely. And my, my brother's involved in traditional media. And I've got nothing but respect for traditional media. I mean, and, you know, we, we're, we're a new form. But obviously, we, we have to respect, um, you know, these, these guys work very hard to get where they are. So um, I respect it completely. And, I, you know, I, I'd like to think that maybe sometimes some of the things that we're doing is helping to change some of the things that they're doing as well because they're looking at it and they're thinking, well, we should be diver more diverse like these guys. And, you know, the, you know so we should be um, both feeding off each other and helping each other and... Um, I think if that happens, then it's, it's all, be all the better. 
unfortunately we've run out of time, but before I allow you to leave, um, since we're talking about social media, I need the three of you to tell me who to follow, who not to follow, and most importantly, who to block or mute. <laughs> I'll follow Copper 90, they're brilliant. They're, they are brilliant, I'll definitely. His series that he did where he went round practically every ground in the world, which I was really envious of, um, going to all these different derbies was absolutely amazing. I probably blocked Donald Trump and mute him. <laughs> but then he's, you know, his stuff is quite compelling, so I do always end up looking at it. But um, yeah, I'll probably mute Trump. <laughs> um, obviously, AFC TV and Copper 90. And I'd subscribe to The Guardian and click that little button that says donate at the bottom. Um, but no, I've actually, I, I've, I, I met a girl in, or a woman in um, Russia, uh, Vaishwali Bardwaj who's uh, a journalist for the London Evening Standard. And, um, yeah, she's, she's very, very good. And she's been on Sunday Supplement. Um, you know, she does a lot of newspaper work, but also, I think, is open to, to new media and that sort of thing. And I think she's brilliant to follow. In terms of not following, it's a little bit of an obvious one, but Piers Morgan, I've, I've, now, <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've now removed him from my feet. He's actually, he's an Arsenal fan, though. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's quite entertaining. He's very entertaining, but... <laughs> Ellie? Well, first off, I've mean, I, I got to uh, send it back and say, obviously, AFTV and The Guardian, and for the young ones watching, by the way, I was advocating for print. I wasn't saying it's, it's dead traditional platforms. You should support it. It's amazing. But um, for me, the, uh, an account that I'm loving at the moment is uh, an account called Babagol. It's a Middle Eastern uh, journalist doing it all on his own. He speaks, like, six languages. He was covering the World Cup. I mean, I mean the World Cup, he was covering the World Cup for... Uh, uh, a Palestinian newspaper, an Israeli newspaper, a Chinese newspaper, a North African newspaper, and he gets the best stories that are going on on the, on the parts of the world we don't know about, from Algeria to Chile, and he, like, he, he brings them up on, on his Twitter account, so Bubba Gold, uh, shout out Yuri, and then um, to Block, they were my first two, they were the first two that went through my head, so who else to Block? Um, oh, guys, help me out here. Oh, you could, you could just leave it there. I, I, yeah, I think they were the, the first two, so yeah, just, that's it. Oh, thank you. The sun. Thank you. <laughs> Kick it out. 25 years of campaigning for equality in football. Our next speaker um, is the chair of the FA's Inclusion Advisory Board, and I'm delighted to call up Paul Elliott to, to the stand. Um, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and our young people, a very good evening to each and every one of you, and obviously welcome to a wonderful, uh, prestigious day, shall we say, here. Um, my, I suppose, I was casting my mind back actually 25 years ago, almost to the day, because that was the day when Kick It Out was born. Um, myself, personally, my background was that of a, a professional footballer that probably played football in a very difficult and hostile environment. I'm sure you heard of the great names, Laurie Cunningham, Cyril Regis, Brendan Batson. Um, I was a generation that followed five years or so after that. And I had to say that I suppose they were my heroes in many respects. But what made me realise the challenges I suppose I experienced as a player was my mother and father. First generation from Jamaica. There's been a lot of news captured about the Windrush generation. 
My mother and father came from that generation. So I was acutely aware growing up of all the challenges, societal challenges, notwithstanding the professional challenges that, 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 that I gained thereafter uh, trying to forge my career. So I started at Charlton, Luton, Aston Villa, and, and some of the significant things that I sort of realised in my career was I was very fortunate enough to, to play my career abroad. And I became the first black player to play in Italy in 1987, which was a very interesting and very challenging moment. And thereafter, I went to Celtic and became the first black player to play in Scotland. And I think more significant for me, and this was the, the correlation between where I am or where I started and where I finished, and Kick It Out was that in the early 90s when Kick It Out was born, that I was the first black team and club captain for Chelsea. And I think the, 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 the challenge about that was that Chelsea... For those, I'm sure there's some more, I say, maturer people in the room would know playing at Chelsea was a very, very difficult, challenging and intimidating place where black players, you know, like me, consistent monkey chanting, banana throwing, you know, being called every conceivable expletive that you can actually endure. And I have to say to you, that was challenging because I was then a very young man. 16, 17, 18, trying to apply my trade. So if there's one thing that I really wanted, which I think sort of brings us up to speed, it was all about equality of opportunity. As a player of colour, all I ever wanted to do was to apply my trade in a racism-free environment, just like any other person would in the workplace, in, a, in an office. That's what black players of my generation wanted. And unfortunately, we couldn't get that. There was no legislative framework in place. And I think the real turning point for football was Kick It Out. My alignment with Kick It Out came on the day it was launched with a, a distinguished man that spoke so... Uh, I'll say a distinguished young man in Lord Erman Oosley that spoke so eloquently about the journey. And I was there on the very first day when it was launched. And I have to say, if I look on it 25 years later, that's been the single difference the single biggest catalyst for change but make no mistake there was a lot of skepticism many people thought it wasn't sustainable you know it was the clubs were in denial the footballing authorities weren't really engaged and embraced they came on board about four or five years later so we were very much alone very much alone campaigning fighting trying to myself on the field of play trying to lead by example demonstrating excellence when I had to worry about, you know, what was my fellow player going to say to me about my ethnicity, about my mother, about my, my ethnic background. When the ball went out of play, you're concerned, well, what's the supporters going to say to you? And there's been some very, very challenging moments. But I realised that, you know, I just had to be strong, be resilient, be single-minded and be focused. And my mum always said to me, you have to be twice as good to be even. We had to be three times as good. So all that shaped me, the narrative shaped me for my journey, for my career. And I saw Kick It Out emerge from an acorn into what I call a substantive oak tree. And it's impacted football like no other in terms of its campaigning, its leadership, its education, because there is no power like the power of football 
to bring communities together, to break down barriers, to mobilise, to galvanise, to create social cohesion. Football is the biggest powerful tool in the world, aligned with education. Many thanks. Kick It Out Cost is a Wise Buddha production. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.